coming into our message. So I appreciate um, Jason talking about our small group ministry we call regroups. Um, I'm going to tell you one of the f- my favorite things that, that, we, that we do in, in many of our regroups, and that is that we share what's called our life map. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that, but again, for me, it's one of my favorite things to do because it's a way of really getting to know people. And so what, what you do in a life map is you, you, you kind of diagram your life, and then you share that with the rest of the group. And so, you know, I'm a lousy artist, so nobody can really interpret my little stick diagrams and things like that. Um, but it's fun to be able to, for someone to create that life map, this, this thing on a sheet of paper, make copies and hand it around. And as you listen to their stories, you're kind of guessing what these little things mean or whatever. But it's a great way of hearing people's story. I think everybody's got a story worth hearing. Interestingly, the parallel in our passages today is, he doesn't call it your story, he calls it your race. Because everybody uh, has a race that God has placed before us that we're called to run in. But what is remarkable as you look and you hear somebody's story in that life map, again, what they're doing is identifying key things in in their lives that, kind of shaped who they are, that kind of created the ups and downs and the struggles and wrestling with all that is a part of who they are. And again, it's remarkable because not only are there significant, very positive events, but most people include several negative events, several difficulties, challenges, things that they had to get through, things that hurt sometimes. And so when I think about that life map, I immediately kind of thought about this idea of what the reader, sorry, the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And so my thought this morning is this. How are you doing in this race that God has set before you? How's it going? Are you like full speed ahead? Are you like, I'm limping right now? Or actually, I've got a bunch of things that are really hindering my run. We're going to talk today about how running your race with endurance is, is, uh, is addressed by this reader or this writer in Hebrews. Before we get there, I want to pray as we kind of dig in. So please join me in prayer. Father God, I, I'm grateful that as the author and perfecter, the founder and perfecter of our faith, you are also that of our race. You're the one who's designed that. And there's reminders, God, that at times we need you more desperately than others, that we at least that we recognize that. So Father, just today, as we think about this race, God, you've put before us and how how it is going. And would you help us to be honest with ourselves and with you? Grateful, God, that you don't leave us on this race by ourselves. Grateful, God, that you are near, that you are intimate. Again, that you are the founder and perfecter of that race. So, God, as we dig into your word, God, if there's something we need to hear today, God, would you bring it to our hearts and minds and 
God, help me as I desire to present your word faithfully today um, that we might be changed by it, encouraged by it, challenged by it, and you would do the work that only your spirit can do through the power of your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. You'll notice that it starts off with therefore, and as we've talked about all the time, that therefore is a looking back and saying that what I'm about to say is strongly influenced by what was just said. If you weren't here last week or didn't uh, follow online, I really encourage you to listen to Pastor Nate's message from last week on chapter 11 because you really need chapter 11 to get chapter 12. You need to know what this therefore is all about. And he says it this way. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, since what we've heard about all of these people are for us this great cloud of witnesses bearing witness about what they have said in, about them in chapter 11, since we are, let us also, get it, hear that? Let us also, just like they have, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Chapter 11, all those stories of who lived by faith, who God had placed a race before them. He's now placed in a race before us. And so let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But we have this incredible example, a incredible advantage, because verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you've got an ESV like I have reading from, then you probably have this paragraph break. You've got this heading, and then it jumps into chapter or verse 3. I think verse 3 goes with verses 1 and 2. Two reasons why. Um, even though the ESV translators have broken that up, uh, in the original Greek, the, most translations would have it, or most... Um, Verses of that would have it break between 3 and 4, but this is the compelling reason for me. Let's look at verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, and then it talks about how he endured the cross. Look at the parallel statement, verse 3. Consider him, which is again like, almost like looking at Jesus, who in this verse endured from sinners. It's almost like a parallel statement. So that's why I'm going to lump verse 3 in with verse 2. And again, so that's what it says in verse 3, that consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So let's dig in to what the, the, the author of Hebrews, what he wants to pull out from us. But the first thing I want to do is talk a little bit about, before we get to how to run this race, I'm going to talk about your race. Because there's things that he's identifying right here, which is very important for us to understand what our race is like. And the first one is this. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's an interesting phrase because it really means that you don't choose your race. You don't get to cho choose what's going to happen to you in 3 and 5 and 10 years from now. Yeah, there's some choices you make which influence that, but bottom line, 
just like when we would do one of those life maps, the reality is that there's things that you cannot anticipate is going to happen to you. That you have no idea what's going to happen in this world, in our communities, in your family, and to you personally. But the reality is that there is a race that Jesus has called us to that he has set before us, which means ultimately that he is the designer. He's the one who is designed by that race. And as God is designer, we are already reminded by this from chapter 11. Let's just kind of sample some verses about this race that he's put before us. The point of leaven was this idea that there are two paths. There are the, the, the thing that the world has to offer, but the prize that we pursue and the promises that we pursue. So let's just pick up, let's say, in verse 13 of chapter 11. At the very end, it says, we are strangers and exiles on the earth. In other words, this race that we're called to is a different set of goals in mind and, and prize and reward than the, than the world has to offer. Verse 16 says it this way, but as it is, they would desire a better country that is a heavenly one. That's part of that destination at the end of the race. Verse 25 and 26 choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, that's so often where the world wants to take and the race thereafter. But then verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of East, for he was looking to that reward, a different type of reward. We can jump down to verse 35 at the very end, so that they might rise again to a better life. And finally, let's jump to verse 40. Since God had provided something better for us. This idea that there's a race that God has designed, which has in mind something that he is one is to pursue. The things that are eternal, those better promises. The other thing that we can hold fast to about this being designed by God, it's for his purposes. And his purposes are above our purposes. His ways are above our ways. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. His purposes are beyond what we can even imagine. We can't grab a hold of them. And so if God has laid out a race for you to run, I can guarantee you can't figure it out. You're not going to know you're not going to be able to fully understand and fully anticipate. But we can hold on to this, that God is the one who has set it before us. So let us run with endurance. Secondly, to run this race with endurance means that it is a, a race that will require faith. Again, looking back at chapter 11, verse 6 says, and Without faith, it is impossible to please him, meaning God. So again, looking back at chapter 11, over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith. Choices, decisions, and be able to run that race that was set before him required faith. Nate did a great job last week talking about this aspect of faith, but he reminded us, And let's look at it with our own eyes in chapter 11, verse 1. What is faith that is required of us to run with endurance? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. So we cannot live by sight. We must live by faith. We won't be able to see. We won't be able to know. We won't be able to fully understand. It will require faith and hope in God for us to run this race that God has designed for us. But again, lastly, he says, let us run with endurance. When you think about endurance, first of all, chapter 12, 1, he mentions it there, like I just said, endurance. Verse 2, Jesus endured the cross. Verse 3, endured from sinners. You get the end idea, it's going to take some endurance. <laughs> get the idea that it's not going to be easy. He's already begun to highlight why we've got to endure. And all we have to do is go back in the last couple chapters, and even in this chapter, to realize why endurance is so critical for us to be able to run. Because of all the obstacles and the things that will come in our way and, and try to keep us from running that race of endurance. The first one I'll call persecution. If you go back to chapter 10, Verse 32 through 36, listen to this. Again, if you want to turn back there, join me in that. Chapter 10, verse 32 says, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured, there it is again, a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When they hear, run with endurance, they get that because they get the persecution that has come. So just so you might not think that you're exempt from that, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, for anyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecution. How's that for a warm fuzzy today? Notice what he doesn't say. Some of you who want to live a godly life might face some persecution. No, he says it this way, and I'll repeat it. For everyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecution. That's a promise. That's a promise. Kind of the question in my mind is like, am I facing persecution? Do I really face persecution? Or when I'm running my race, do I get to a point where this may be a difficult conversation? I think I'll avoid it and go a different way. But he promises that we're not exempt from that. Secondly, he also reminds them that we're going to require endurance because there will be trials and testing of our faith. He goes back in chapter 11, verse 17, to pull this out. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Who did that testing? Who was the one who tested Abraham's faith in that story? God said to Abraham, take your son Isaac, the one whom you love, 
and offer him. God brought about that testing. Again, just so you're not thinking that you're exempt from that. Flip over to James chapter 1, just a, maybe a page or two over. And he tells us this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Basically, it's reminding us that we need testing. We need that type of trials in our lives to produce the things that God wants to do in our lives. They're coming. But there's also one that's going to come, and it's going to, we're talking about this next week. So actually, chapter 12, verse 6. So look just ahead. Again, we're going to talk about this next week. But this is another reason why we have to endure. Verse 6 says this. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Okay, a little audience participation here. You can do a nod of the head. You can do a quick raise or whatever, a nose thing, whatever you like to do here. But let me ask this question. How many of you are loved by God? You know what you just signed up for? You signed up for discipline. Actually, you didn't sign up for it. He signed you up for it. That's the promise. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. There's endurance needed because that's going to happen. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15, verse 2. I'm going to turn to that in a moment here. He said it this way. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Convinced to run your race is going to take endurance? There's stuff coming. You probably already know this. It's already there. So then how do we run? How do we run effectively? How do we run that race with endurance that, that is set before us? There's three things I've identified in this passage. The first one is this, is that we need to listen to other runners. And so I've actually put in your notes, chapter 11, 1 through 12, 1. So not going to read it. If you'd like to listen to a lovely reading of that, Listen to Nate's message last week where Katie reads it. It's fantastic. I loved her voice. Sorry, Nate. I loved her voice. It was great. Uh, fantastic job. But, but the point being is this, is that that whole last chapter is this whole idea of those who are bearing witness of this. When you run your race, there's temptations to take the easy way, to pursue the things that this world has to offer, to compromise. But don't. Endure. It's worth it. And so the author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, when you just take a look at just that statement, I know that there's other people who have said, well, this idea that we live here on, our, on, on earth and those who have gone before us are up in heaven and they're cheering for us and they're going and they're watching what we're doing. And that may be true, but it has nothing to do with this right here. That is not what this is talking about. Let me help you. 
The word witness is the same word that Jesus has used when he says this. When he speaks to those who have already seen the resurrection, they are aware of Jesus having been resurrected, okay? Crucified, he's resurrected, and they're a part of those who now believe and have seen it. They have seen it. Jesus says to them, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be, you will be in the future, and you shall be my witnesses. So sometimes we use this word witness as somebody who just observes. That's not how this word is used. It's those who know, see, experience, and make it known. They say something. They express that. Last year, um, in the community where my my parents live, my my mom was driving down the road, went to a roundabout, and she pulled in front of another vehicle maybe a little bit too closely. That driver didn't appreciate it, so they started tailgating my mom as they came around that and went down the road, and he's right on her tail, and she's looking in the rearview mirror, and they go into another roundabout, and he's right on top of her right there, and they go down to another one and get to this roundabout. And this roundabout has two lanes. And so she pulls into the inside lane. And he comes up and just rams her in the side. So my mom is terrified. 83-year-old woman got hit, you know, from this road rage thing. She gets out and he starts yelling at her because he says, you pulled into the, into the roundabout. That's how I, why I hit you. She's like, I was just sitting there. And so at this point in time, it's his word against her word. Fortunately, there was someone at the one quarter of the way around who had come to a stop and watched the whole thing. So when the officer came to take statements, this person got out of the car and shared with what they had said. Now imagine if that person had seen it and then the police officer shows up and they go, forget it, I'm not talking to a police officer and takes off that would not be a witness. That'd be a wasted witness. (laughs) Because they wouldn't be testifying of what they saw and they heard. Interesting, this word witness is where we get the word martyr from. Exactly that, that's what the word is. And so those who are martyred because of their faith are those who expressed their trust and faith and hope in Christ. And so when we get to this passage, it's saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, we have are the recipients and the benefactors of those, all those voices saying it's worth it to follow Jesus, who've bore witness through the testimony of the word, but even beyond that, those who've gone before us And the reality is, even each other saying it is worth it to follow Jesus. Hold fast. Hang in there. Trust him, even when it's difficult. That is why our vision statement says, following Jesus together. Because I need you, and you need me. We need each other to say, hold on. Keep going. It's true. It's real. It's worth it to follow Jesus. So let's listen to other runners. Secondly, I I put it in your notes. I I put it this way. I said, get rid of those things that tempt you to stop running. I put that together on 
Thursday, I think it was. But the more and more I think about it, I'd like to say it a little bit differently. I'd like to say, get rid of those things that are now hindering your running. Because this is what he says. This author says, let us also lay aside every, number one, weight and sin which clings so closely. So let's talk about the weight and sin. It's obviously he's using an analogy of running. So the weight, I kind of grab hold of it and say, that's probably something that's maybe neutral. It's not necessarily sinful, but it certainly is a weight that is hindering your ability to run well. Let's talk a little bit about that. That could be. What does that look like? So this year on uh, July 4th, um, it's a Sunday. And we have a number of our people run in what's called the Liberty 5K. Okay, so that will be taking place that morning down at the fairgrounds. And so we are actually scheming to see if we can pull off doing an outdoor service after the race down there. Okay, so just a heads up. We're hoping we can pull that off. So I'm going to run that morning. I'm not going to. Okay, but if I did, okay, actually I thought about, I thought about my uni. So you tell me what you think about my uni that morning. What I'm thinking about wearing is I've got a military son who used to work out in a weight vest. So I'm thinking about getting that weight vest with about 40 pounds of sand and stuff around me. And, and um, you know, I've got one of those slides from my grandson, um, or some of our sleds, and I'm going to put like four cinder blocks on that and tie it to my waist. And I love snowshoeing, so I thought I'd put, get my snowshoes out and put some 8- and 10-pound barbells, okay, and, and kind of strap them to those. And last but not least, I'm thinking about grabbing two 5-gallon buckets of concrete, one on each arm. What do you think? What's your first thought come to mind about my race? Muni. What's that? I'm going to hurt you. You know that about it. I'm, I'm probably going to move. You know. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it be? I mean, I'm weighing myself down. So there's no way I can run effect with that race. In and among themselves, none of those things are bad things. They just don't fit the race that I'm to run. If it was a... If it was a snow race out in Rocky Mountain National Park, then maybe the snowshoes might work, but it's not, is it? And see, the reality is that the author says, you've got a race to run, so don't weigh yourself down with the things that don't matter. And I'll be honest, in our culture, in the U.S., I really think there's kind of two things that we really weigh ourselves down. It's our financial commitments and our time commitments. And oftentimes those are very much related. I think what we do oftentimes is live a lifestyle in such a way that we have burdened ourselves with so much financial burden that it's hard for us to run the race that God's called us to. We make decisions based upon how we're going to handle all of these things. And related to that, but also different, is the time commitments that we make filling our lives with so many things, so many activities that we don't have time for. So if you find yourself going, I don't know if I have time in the morning to spend with the Lord. 
because I'm filled up with other things. Or time to develop a significant relationship with my next door neighbor because I'm so busy. Or to be involved in a, in a ministry to use your gifts as a part of redemption or in, or in this community. Is it a case you go, I just don't have time? Then maybe you've burdened yourself with too much weight. But secondly, oh, here, actually, let's do a little quote. I like this quote from Francis Chan. I think I skipped it. I like it because it kind of relates to that. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. Sometimes that's what those burdens are. We spend a lot of time in those burdens, those weights. But let's talk about this next part. That also which we're to lay aside. And it says, the sin which clings so closely. Essentially, what that, that word literally means is it's, it's well-wrapped, well-wrapped sin. So, have anybody seen this little trick done to somebody where somebody is sitting down at a chair and there's a table there and somebody sneaks under the table, they grab a shoestring from one shoe, a shoestring from the other, and they tie it together, and the person doesn't know what's going on? It's, it's funny because somebody gets up and just, boom, they fall over because they try to step. You know what's the sad thing about that as it relates to sin? We do it to ourselves. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. It wraps itself around us. And we take this rope and we wrap sin around us. And we believe the lies of the temporary pleasures of sin and we wrap the rope around us. And we believe this is the better way and we believe this is the satisfaction and this will avoid discomfort and we wrap the sin around us to the point where we're barely making any progress. Or maybe we are crawling. Or maybe we are now just sitting on the side of the road. And the reality is, at some point in time, that sin can be so clinging to us that it disqualifies us. I'm about to share something very sobering. And we're going to turn off the online. so that It says, looking to Jesus. And the reality is in verse 2 and verse 3 is going to speak primarily of the example of how Jesus endured. And he endured the cross. He endured from sinners hostility. But before he ever gets that, he reminds us of that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's our hope. He's our one hope. He's our only hope. He is the one who began our faith, the author, the founder, the source. But he doesn't just start with us. He remains with us as our perfecter, reminding us that we've got to hold fast to him Because only in Jesus can we hold fast, can we endure, can we get through. 
Can we get rid of the weight and the sin? And then he goes on to say, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was that joy? I really think it's two things. I think it's that joy is this aspect of following after what the Father desired. He did what the Father desired. Certainly there was times when he goes, if there's another way, if you can remove this cup from me, but, but not your will, but my will done. So he follows for the joy set before him of doing the path and doing the race, run the race that his father called him to do. But there's another aspect of that joy set before him, and that was the salvation of our souls. See, when you think about how seriously God takes sin, he sent his son Jesus to, to take our place so that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love how this captures, in a small sense, Philippians 2, talking about Jesus, who humbled himself, took on the very nature of man, went to the cross, suffered, and because of that, was exalted. So look to Jesus as that. And this says, verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Because he knows that we can suffer the same types of things. It's a reminder that Jesus has gone before us. The things that we struggle and the things that we wrestle with and the, the things which cause us to maybe want to back away and, and to give in, Jesus has been there before us and he knows what we go through. We can turn to him and look to him and trust to him. 